You probably couldn't even tell because I have a loud mouth, as Jamie would attest to. There we go. Thank you, Morgan. But yes, it's been a very joyful experience to see uh, Evelyn and Allie uh, dedicate their life over uh, to God and his son, uh, Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful example they have set for all of us. Uh, 1 Timothy 4.12 states that, uh, that we shouldn't look down on those who are young, but uh, that those who are young should set an example in, in their faith in their life and in their speech. So, so a huge blessing, a huge, a huge occasion to be joyful uh, in Evelyn and Ellie. So thank you there. So last week, uh, we have a lot of uh, guests here uh, today, which I love. Uh, we got to advertise every week that Evelyn and Ellie are getting baptized. I mean, <laughs> it, bring, it brings the people in. So it's great to have you all here uh, with us this morning. Last week, we started a series um, entitled All About... God. And so we're just covering some of the basics of God because it's important to know God. John 17, 3 states that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ and God has sent. It's eternal life. Eternal life is on the line of whether or not we know God. And so it's so, so important for us to have this basic understanding of who God is. And that's what we're going to be accomplishing this series entitled All about God. Last week we talked about God is one. We took a look at the simple truth, the beautiful truth, that God is one. He, he's not two, he's not three, he's not four, but God is one. It's simple. It's a simple message. Uh, people think that uh, the, the Bible may be, may be hard to interpret. It may be in our culture, in our society, but the followers of Jesus, I mean, a lot of them were fishermen. They had no education. They couldn't read themselves. It's a simple message that we have. It's a simple message. God is one. God is one. And it, it's beautiful. And there's no other being in heaven and on earth who is equal with God or has equal power or authority to God. Now the problem is a lot of people try to make uh, other beings or, or most notably Jesus equal with God. But Jesus himself, he, he didn't consider equality with God. Jesus himself stated that the Father is greater than I. Jesus himself stated that I can do nothing without God, without my Father. Jesus himself called God his own God. He said, my God. Jesus had a God. It's our God, Yahweh, our Heavenly Father. Jesus said that the Father is the only God. And Paul, after Jesus concluded his earthly ministry, Paul said that Jesus did not consider to be equal with God. So my question then is, why are so many people out there trying to trying to consider that Jesus is equal with God when the scriptures seem to be pretty clear that God is one of a kind. God is one, it's simple, and it's beautiful. So that's what we talked about last week to kind of catch uh, you guys all up to what we covered last week. But this week, today, uh, we're going to cover some of the attributes of God. And all sorts of different people uh, have these different ideas as to what God is like. You, you may often hear people say, God is like dot, 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 fill in the blank. And everybody has a different idea, perception of who God is and what he is like. And some people have a decent perception of what God is like, but some people have a very skewed perception as to what God is like. So this morning we're going to take a look at, at, as to what God really is like, his attributes, his character, his personality. And before you go into any uh, important relationship in your life, it's important that uh, you, you discover their attributes, their personality, their characteristics. You, you got to know if they're a trustworthy person 
Are they loyal? Are they loving? Are they friendly? It might be nice to know if they're smart, if they're funny. Uh, thank goodness for Jamie. She found out that I'm funny. There, there you go, Jamie. <laughs> and she also has to deal with all my annoyances as well. So I'm sorry, but Jamie had to discover that. She had to know that before she made that lifelong commitment of having a relationship with me. That's right, lifelong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yes, yes, there we go. Praise God, praise God. But when we enter relationship with God, we too have to know what he is like. Is he loyal? Is he trustworthy? Is he friendly? Is he, is he loving? And today we're going to take a look at to see what God is really like. And rather than taking a look at the words of other people and, and them describing what God is like, we're going to take a look at the lips of God himself. Because did you know that in the scripture, God indeed described himself, his own words. He, he didn't have someone else write this down or he didn't speak through someone else. God himself told someone what he is like. And we're going to take a look at this morning, Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus chapter 34, just the second book of the Bible. Um, and if you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. They'll be uh, posting the scriptures um, behind me. And we're going to be reading Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. And here, God is talking to Moses. Moses, the man um, who freed the Israelites uh, from the Egyptians. And God is talking to Moses. And it says in verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the, four, to the third and fourth generation. So there we get a beautiful picture of what God is all about, what he is like, his personality, his characteristics. When, when I was in school, uh, my professor, Dr. Joe, he, he, he taught me that this passage is God by God. This is a description of God by God himself. God is describing to Moses his personality, his character, his, his attributes. And, and I'll just re repeat it again. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faith, faithfulness, and maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. There's eight attributes there. Eight attributes of God that God describes to Moses and explains to Moses of who he is and who his character is. Or is. And so this morning we're going to take a look at those eight attributes of God. Uh, in school I was required to memorize these eight attributes. Let's see if I can rem remember them. God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and truth or faithfulness, uh, maintaining love, uh, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and does not leave the guilty and Hey, I did it. Eight, eight attributes of God. Dr. Joe would be very proud of me. There we so if, you, if anybody sees Dr. Joe and your travels, tell him I still remember those eight attributes of God. That would make my day. It'd probably make his too. So the first attribute that we're going to cover is compassionate. God is a compassionate God. And compassion, we use that term a lot, but we may not completely understand what it means. Compassion means feeling or showing sympathy and concern for others. 
So God is a compassionate God. When we say that, we say that God is, is one who feels and shows sympathy and concern for others. And as we go through these eight attributes, I'm going to tell a, a brief story found in the scriptures of an example of God expressing the attribute. And so it's compassionate. We see the compassion of God evident in the book of Joshua when God spared the life of Rahab, the prostitute. Now, Rahab lived in Jericho, a city in Canaan, during the time of Joshua. And Rahab was not an Israelite. She was a Canaanite. She lived in the land of Canaan at that time. Um, but Joshua was on a quest uh, to, to conquer the land of Canaan, conquer Israel. And Jericho, being one of those cities that Joshua and the Israelites were going to conquer, Rahab should have been conquered with the rest of the people who lived in the city herself. And Rahab herself was a prostitute. So she didn't have necessarily the cleanest record in the world. She was a prostitute, and she was supposed to be conquered with everyone else. However, God had sympathy for Rahab. God had a concern for Rahab. And God used Rahab, and Rahab allowed to the spies to come into the city and check out the land. And God had sympathy for her, and God spared her life. God had compassion on Rahab, a beautiful example of the compassion of God. The, ne the next attribute that we'll cover is God is a gracious God. Grace just simply means undeserved favor. When you receive something that you, you, you don't deserve. And we see the superb example of the grace of God when he graciously sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. The, the, the beautiful confession we just witnessed a couple minutes ago with Evelyn and Allie confessing that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Well, let me tell you, Evelyn and Allie, they, they didn't deserve that sacrifice. I, I, I don't deserve that sacrifice. You don't deserve that sacrifice. Romans 6.23 clearly states that the wages of sin is death. And we all have sin in our life. And so we all deserve death. That's something I've illustrated to you guys before. We all deserve death. Nothing more, nothing less. Kind, kind of a, a, grim, a grim view on, on, on our life. As we all deserve death, nothing more, nothing less. But God so graciously sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins for our sins, so that we can live eternally with God and Jesus in the kingdom. That is the superb act of grace by God, as God graciously sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. God is a God who is full of grace. We do not deserve it, but God send it, sends it our way regardless. So God is gracious. The third attribute of God described in Exodus 34, 6 is God is slow to anger. In the book of Exodus, we see a great example of this in God dealing with the Israelites. So the Israelites, to give you get a, a bit of background, the Israelites, they were enslaved in Egypt. And, and their lives were becoming harsh as Pharaoh himself hardened the work of the Israelites. And the Israelites went out of Egypt. And so God performed many miracles and he, he let the pe his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And he did a great number of miracles for the Israelites. And the Israelites had all the reason to be thankful for God for freeing them 
from the Egyptians and from the Pharaoh himself. And so as the Israelites were wandering away from Egypt and into the land that they belonged, the promised land, the land of Canaan, the Israelites had the audacity to complain and grumble to God. After God did all this for the Israelites and freeing them from, from the slavery, the Israelites complained, God, we're so hungry, give us food, so, so God fed them. They're complaining, God, we're so thirsty, we need something to drink, so, so, so God gave them something to drink and quenched their thirst. And on top of that, the Israelites, they, they made a golden calf and they worshipped it as a god. They worshipped it as the god who freed them from the hand of the Egyptians. What an atrocity the Israelites committed. And, and yes, God, God was upset and, and he was angry with the Israelites and, and the construction of the golden calf. But God had every right to destroy the Israelites at that moment. But God is a God who was slow to anger. He was slow to anger with the Israelites as the Israelites did not treat God very well. I mean, me personally, I get, I get frustrated when, when Jamie leaves clothes on the floor. Or just last night, Jamie, Jamie's pregnant, for those of you who don't know. Um, and she, she purchased this uh, called a pregnancy pill. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not. Um, I, was, I was a bit hesitant at first. But uh, it, it's, it's pretty comfy. I, I enjoy it myself. <laughs> I think I used it more at first than she did. Um, but anyway, it's, it's this pillow that you, you lay behind your head and it extends down your side as you're laying down. And the purpose of it is so that you don't uh, lay on your stomach and crush bubbles because I don't want to crush bubbles and Jamie doesn't either. So we, purpose, we, we purchased uh, the pregnancy pillow. Now the problem for me is that this pregnancy pillow is pretty big. I mean, it's, it's, it's about this wide on each side and we don't have a huge bed. I mean, it's just queen size. And so by the time I crawl into bed, I have this much room to sleep. And let me tell you, I am, I am not very slow to anger. Then I get frustrated and I toss the pillow to the side, get making, I just want more room as I'm one that likes to turn around a lot in my bed as I'm trying to fall asleep. And I'm not one to be very slow to anger and just little occasions like that. But God... God being someone slow to anger, where the Israelites were grumbling and complaining to him after God did all this, God is so slow to anger, an attribute that often many people overlook as, as oftentimes, especially in our society, as we're becoming a more impatient and, and impatient society, we want things now, and we, we become very quick to getting frustrated when we don't have the things now. But God is a God who is slow to anger, unlike probably many of us here. I hear some laughs. That, that confirms it for me. <laughs> the fourth attribute of God that he explains to Moses is that he is abounding in love. And we can read of the abounding love in the book of Jonah and God loving the Ninevites. Jonah was called to minister to the people of Nineveh. However, as many of you may be familiar with the story, Jonah did not want to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. So what did he do? He ran the other way and he went to the city of Tarshish to, to preach to them. Well, God wasn't necessarily too happy with that. Uh, so uh, God had Jonah swallowed up by a big fish. And three days and three nights, uh, Jonah uh, dwelt in the belly of a big fish. 
And after that, uh, Jonah finally did decide to go to Nineveh. So moral of the story, if someone doesn't listen to you the first time you tell them to do something, have them get swallowed up by a big fish. And history suggests they'll listen to you the second time around. But anyways, Jonah, he, he goes to the people of Nineveh, and he ministers to the people of, of Nineveh just like God had wanted. And the people of Nineveh, they repented of their sins, and God accepted them, and God loved them. And now you would think Jonah would be so proud and so happy as he finally had these Ninevites repent, this wicked people. Finally, they have come to repentance, and finally, they've shown their love towards God, and God accepted their repentance, and God accepted their love, and God showed the Ninevites their love. But no, Jonah wasn't happy. He was mad. He was mad at God. And Jonah 4.2 states, and Jonah's talking to God, and it says, That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew God. He knew his heavenly father. He knew that God was going to show the Ninevites his abounding love. That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He he said it himself in chapter 4 verse 2 of the book of Jonah. He said, I don't, I don't want to go, God, because I knew you. I knew you would show your abounding love to these Ninevites. A superb example of God's abounding love as he accepted the repentance and, and he showed his love towards the Ninevites. A great story there. The fifth attribute of God, God is abounding in faithfulness. Faithfulness is just meaning uh, being loyal or constant or, or, or steadfast. And, and we see a great example of this in the book of 1 Kings uh, with the story of Elijah's sacrifice. So the prophet Elijah lived uh, during the reign of King Ahab. And now Ahab was an awful, awful king. And he had an awful, awful wife named Jezebel. Uh, my, my professor Bob Jones at the Bible College, he, he trained us uh, whenever we heard the names Ahab and Jezebel, we were to repeat, boo, hiss. So let's try Ahab and Jezebel. Yes, they, they were the scum of the earth. But Ahab, he was king of Israel. And Ahab, he, <laughs> yes, I like it. I like it. Well done. He's paying attention. I don't know about the rest of you guys. But anyways, he was, <laughs> he was king of Israel and he encouraged the worship of foreign gods and the nation of Israel. And so there arose many prophets of foreign gods, most notably uh, the god uh, of Baal. And so Jonah, or not Jonah, uh, Elijah came along and he challenged these prophets of Baal. And there were 450 of the prophets of Baal. And he said, hey guys, let, let, let's have a challenge here. We, we, we both believe in our God. We both have faith in our God. There's one of me and there's 450 of you so, so take me up on a simple challenge. We'll build an altar. We'll put some wood on it. We'll put a sacrificial bowl on it. But the thing is, we won't light it on fire. Instead, we'll pray to our God to light the, the sacrifice on fire. And so they did just that. Uh, the, the prophets of Baal, they went first, and uh, they, they were praying to, to their God, God, please light, light the sacrifice on fire. And they were pleading and pleading, but to no avail, of course, we know that the, their altar 
wouldn't, wouldn't burn, wouldn't, wouldn't catch on fire. And Elijah, a funny, Elijah was mocking them. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe your God is asleep. Maybe, maybe he hit the snooze button too many times. I can relate there. Uh, maybe maybe he, he's talking on the phone or whatever. Elijah was mocking them. And, and the prophets of Baal were so desperate, they started to cut themselves, pleading to God, please, the God of Baal, whatever, please answer our prayer and light this altar on fire. But again, to no avail, their altar did not uh, get lit on fire. And so here comes Elijah just one prophet. And before he prays to God, though, to light the altar on fire, he has some men drench the altar in water. Now, I'm not a huge science expert, but just in case you aren't either, water isn't supposed to light on fire. But here was Elijah's uh, altar and this bowl and this wood drenched in water. And Elijah, one man, prayed to God, praying to light this altar on fire. And God did just that. God is abounding in faithfulness. God is dependable. He is constant. He is loyal. He is steadfast. God answers our prayers. He is faithful. We can put our faith in him because 100% of the time, he is faithful as he is abounding in faithfulness. The sixth attribute of God, maintaining love. Again, in the book of Exodus, we we see an example of this in God using Moses. God no doubt loved Moses. However, Moses had his own faults. First of all, Moses was a murderer. He, He killed an Egyptian man. And when God called Moses to free the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians, Moses was complaining to God, saying, God, I, I'm, I'm not the one, I'm slow of speech. And he was giving all these excuses, and he was doubting the judgment of God. That's, that's a very foolish decision for someone to do, to doubt the judgment of God. I don't recommend it, I don't advise it. But Moses, he doubted the judgment of God. However, God maintained his love for Moses, and he insisted that Moses go free his Israelites And God maintained his love for Moses, even though Moses was a murderer and he doubted the judgment of God. A great example of God's maintaining love. The seventh attribute is that God forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And we see an awesome example of this in the book of Acts with the man Paul. Many of you guys may be familiar with Paul, as Paul was one of the main figures in the New Testament. Paul wrote nearly half of the books of the New Testament. However, what some of you may not be familiar with is that Paul was a mass murderer. Paul was a Jew. He, he did not believe at first in that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And so Paul, being a Jew, he did not get along with the Christians who thought that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Lord and Savior of the world. And so Paul, being a devout Jew, he had a number of Christians murdered for their faith in Jesus as the Christ. Paul, our hero of the faith, is a mass murderer, and not just of anybody, but of people who are disciples of Christ. That, that is... That's beyond bad. That's beyond bad what Paul did. Paul considered himself the chief sinner as he killed Mary. He had many, many Christians killed as a devout Jew. However, God was able to forgive the sins of Paul. 
even when Paul killed the followers of Jesus himself, God was willing and able and wanting to forgive the sins of Paul, and God did just that, and Paul went on to do uh, many great works. And Paul wrote nearly half of our New Testament. God is willing and wanting and able to forgive you for your sins. As I was talking with Evelyn and Ellie, they, they understood this so clearly, that we have sin in our life, but through the sacrifice of Jesus, we can be forgiven of our sins. For God is a God who forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, if you choose to repent from that. For God is a good God. The last attribute we'll cover this morning is that God does not leave the guilty unpunished. And we see a good example of this in Genesis chapter 6 with the story of Noah and the flood. So God made man. He, he made the earth and the heavens. He made everything that is in this world, including man. And man in the time of Noah were committing wicked, wicked sins. They were people who were not following after God and seeking to obey him. It, it got to such a bad point where God says that he regretted making man. He regretted making man. He was filled with sorrow. I mean, it's crazy to think the, the influence that we have, that we can influence the emotion of God himself with our actions. As the, as the people in the time of Noah, they made God sorrowful. As Evelyn and Ellie this morning, they made God rejoice. We have a power. I'm uncomfortable saying that, but we have an influence on God's emotions. As God rejoices when we seek after him and, and obey him, but God is sorrowful when we turn away from him. And God does not leave the guilty unpunished. With the people in the time of Noah, he destroyed them all except for the family of Noah through the flood. For God does not leave the guilty unpunished. We cannot get away with whatever we want. If we don't accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the sacrifice where he died on the cross for, for our sins, then God's not going to look past our sins. God does not leave the guilty unpunished. But thank goodness for, for the abounding grace of God in sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. And so these are the eight attributes of God that God describes to Moses as, as they're talking on the mountain. As again, God says that he is gracious and compassionate and he is slow to anger, abounding in love and abounding in truth. He's maintaining love. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That's how God describes himself to Moses. And Moses wrote this down, and that's what we have today. God by God. God describing himself in Exodus chapter 34. We serve a good, good God. A good comparison of God's characteristics and qualities is like that of a good parent. A good parent is going to have compassion for his or her children. They're going to have sympathy for their kid when their kid is going through a hard time. I'm sure many of you parents can relate to that. A good parent has compassion for their kids. 
A good parent is going to show grace for his or her children. They're going to feed their kid even when necessary. Their kid doesn't deserve to be fed because they're whining or complaining about the food that you cooked. A good parent's still going to make sure that the kid doesn't starve to death, of course. A good parent is gracious towards his children. A good parent is going to love their child. They're going to express their their deep affection for their children. A good parent is going to remain faithful to their kid. Faithful so that at any time the kid can go to their parent and can trust their parent because their parent being trustworthy and constant and dependable. A good parent is faithful. A good parent will forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. They're going to look past some of their shortcomings because no kid is perfect. I'm hoping bubbles maybe, but I have my doubts. (laughs) No kid is perfect, so parents have to show their kids forgiveness. And finally, a good parent is is not going to leave them unpunished. A child needs to be disciplined. My my baby is going to need discipline in in order for me to be a good parent. God is not going to leave us unpunished. God is the superb father. He is the greatest father that any of us will ever have or have ever had. I'm sorry for those of you who who don't have a, a good example of an earthly father, but you can put your faith in God as he is a good father. And for those of you who are blessed with with a loving father, compassionate and gracious father, you can kind of get a glimpse as to the character of God. As we serve a good, good God. When we come here together as, as God's church, as God's family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we come here together and we worship a good God. We have an awesome, the best of the best God and the best of the best, Heavenly Father. There's truly none like Him. There's only one of Him. And that's all we need. For God is good, and we serve a good, good God. Let's pray. Father God, I just, again, thank you for the example that Evelyn and Ellie have showed all of us an example where where they committed their life over to you and to your son. And Father, we we realize that that's only made possible through the sacrifice of your perfect son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I just thank you for your grace and your compassion and your love and your faithfulness and your forgiveness. I thank you that you are a just God. Father, I thank you for all your many blessings that you bestow upon each and every one of us. Father, we love you. It's in your precious son's name that we pray. Amen.